Hey, welcome to the Just Enough to Be Dangerous podcast. Uh, I'm here with Nick today, and we have a good show for you. We're going to talk about uh, Fed's Waller uh, back to 50 basis point rate hikes until substantial reduction in inflation. SPACs are finally falling on their head, uh, much to, I think, everybody uh, everybody's happiness. Um, and the economic pessimism in America is the highest it's been since the last Great Recession. The world is ending. Join Yay! us. <laughs> So yeah, we're going to discuss these topics and hop right into it. Um, so, you know, let's talk about the basis point hikes. Uh, Nick, you know, you, you kind of suggested that topic. You know, what was your reading of that? What, you know, what did you dig up from it? What's your opinion? Yeah, so uh, I guess set a baseline real quick. So basis points, if you aren't familiar with the terminology, is just one one hundredth of percent. So 50 basis points is half a percent rate height per meeting. The Fed target rate, which is what's actually being discussed here, is kind of the the ground foundation that all everything else that you know of is based on. Uh, this determines the interbank lending rates and then also sets the rate at which the Fed lends, which then also ends up influencing the prime rate, which then influences your consumer and consumer rates, so your mortgages, your credit cards, all that kind of stuff. Right now, um, or well, at least until let's say March of this year, uh, it was in the gutter, uh, I think running around 0.1% with yep. co- because of COVID. So what was interesting to me is I kept seeing this being brought up as like, all right, yeah, you know, this is going to start putting an edge on inflation and, you know, it's it's really going to start doing stuff. And it's like, all right, we've got like a percent and a half to go before we were hitting like where we were pre-COVID. So, you know, yeah, that's only three meeting durations, <laughs> but still though, that's, I'm a bit skeptical at all of the like, hubbub that this is generating because like again if you're looking at the actual graphs for this it, we're still nowhere near even where we were before which probably has part to do with why inflation's running rampant but like that we'll get into that a little bit later so so i'm gonna jump in so yeah one thing that i i think we have to consider with that is that it's true that it's only you know a few percent until we're back where we we're pre-covid but at the same time inflation's running so rampant and with the lag the lag that it takes to increase that and the effect it has in the economic system uh, I think what's going to actually wind up happening and, and, and potentially be even worse is that we're actually going to keep raising the interest rates until a point that's too far to correct for the rampant inflation. And we actually have a deflationary period resulting in the recession we're trying to stop anyway from an overcorrection. So it's... This is actually one thing that like I, I was going to end on kind of as like the, the branching off point for just talking at the end of this was how much stuff, rates, stocks, whatever, do we like is actually based on the results from this happening and not just like a knee-jerk reaction to it happening instantaneously. Because that's one thing that I keep getting, not tripped up on, but just keep, keeps coming up with like, you know, oh, that's going to happen, therefore this is immediately going to happen. It's like, but but nothing's actually happened yet, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, I think, I think a lot of it, so to be honest with you, I think it accomplishes the same goal, right? The goal is to I- I- increase um, joblessness by at least another like one and a half percent, right? To like four, 4.5%. Um, I think was kind of the the number they were looking for. Um, And I think, honestly, that regardless of whether or not the actual um, hike to um, um, hike to the rates results in that or the perception that a hike hike is coming results in that, I don't think they really care. Right. Their their goal is to get us to a point where uh, consumer prices are down, reasonable people can afford their food, their gas. Um, And of course, there there is the, the war in Ukraine, which is affecting this independently of whatever we do with inflation. Right. Uh, with our own inflation, um, with our own interest rates. 
Um, but yeah, I think I think I think the point here is that you're right. There is a knee jerk reaction to this, and that, that knee jerk reaction is resulting in a lot of like premature, you know, things like layoffs um, and and you know, uh, at least in the startup space, which I can speak to a little bit better. Uh, venture capital drying up uh, for yep. these growth rapidly. businesses, rapidly drying up for these <laughs> growth businesses. Um, but I think in the end, for the Fed, it accomplishes their goal either way. Um, and that's actually easier for them because then when they get to, say, their you know 1.5% interest uh, increase, it doesn't result in that rampant deflationary period um, because at that point they can then restore confidence by saying, hey, look, we solved it. We're going to stop you know raising yep. these rates. Um, the actual <laughs> mission numbers, accomplish. mission accomplished, right? And the numbers don't actually change that much. That might actually honestly be safer than if they have to keep increasing the interest rate. You know, let's say we get two to three percent above where we were pre-COVID. That's a little insane, right? But yeah. if you look at the graph of inflation in one year, it shot up from one point like three percent to like six or seven yeah. percent. And it's not really the amount of inflation we've had four to five percent inflation before. It's the rate of change. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So so um, related to that, this is sort of like a tidbit, which may come in handy for someone out there. Um, if you don't know about it, the St. Louis Fed has this amazing website called Fred, uh, which has all of the economics data presented in graphs. And you can like make derivatives in the graph so you can see all of these change over time. And I think you can even do like double derivatives all in all in like one site that has so, so much data. I've got like four references to it in my notes for like, yeah, here's how it was. Here's what it's looking like now. And you can see, oh yeah, there's this like, you know, vertical line up at the end. That's probably not correct um, or normal. <laughs> yeah, you know, not normal, not, not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's actually really interesting. You know, uh, one of the points of this podcast is to kind of show our own journey on learning about this stuff. And actually, I had no idea about Fred. You mentioning this right now, it's going to be uh, very useful in further podcasts. And yeah, you know, to put this out there for people, hopefully not to mislead you, neither Nick nor myself are experts on this stuff. We're actually fairly novice. And this is kind of our our beginning opinion on these topics. Um, our learning experience. Our learning experience. We, we think especially during these kind of like turbulent times, it makes sense to understand the system that we're working in. And even if we can't control for the complexities of that system, at least understanding what the hell is happening is, uh, you know, kind of what, what we're looking to do and hopefully help you guys, our listeners, uh, do too. Yep. Um, so back back to the topic at hand, um, you know, it's really interesting, right? They're being really aggressive with this one. They're saying they're going to go for, you know, that half a percent from every meeting now until the problem is solved. You know, I, I was playing a game, um, God, probably two years ago, and it was like, you know, uh, it was like Fed Chairman Simulator. It's like you control basically oh, the inflationary. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I tried to look for it before the podcast, and I found a different one, but it's not the one that we want. The one that I found was you're the Fed Chairman during Donald Trump's presidency, and it's your, oh, and it's oh, your job to make inflation run as rampant <laughs> as possible, which is not not yeah not not the one we wanted. Um, but the but the one that the one that I found was basically one where the goal was to keep you know inflation within its two percent three percent area the target that was kind of I, th I think the target is two percent inflation as of yeah, like your early two thousands or something number, yeah, yeah 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 um, and it, you know one of the things that it showed to me was you know a subtle they they really they really emphasized the lag that I've been talking about a, yeah. a single percent you know half percent change or like quarter percent change you know, three months earlier has a really outsized effect a quarter later, two quarters later that you can't necessarily like it, regardless of what anybody's telling you, there's no way these people are smart enough to be able to like uh, control for that six months down the line yep. with yep. such a complex system. And the worry that we have here, the worry that I have here is that we are going to you know overcorrect. We are going to hit a recession. Um, it is going to be hard to come out of it. And it, it, it's going to be because of good intentions, 
But the Fed really has a balancing act they have to do here. They have to thread the needle. You go too far, you go too far up, recession. You go too far yep. down, recession. recession. Yep. Um, so th this actually hits uh, or sort of sort of relates to another point that I had. So, right, as these rates are going up, that is the, the theory, I guess, also to set the background is rates go up, de-incentivizes spending effectively, de-incentivizes investment, which means in theory there's less buying, there's less demand for goods, which means prices go down and there's your inflation solved in air quotes. Um, the, the interesting thing about that though, what you're saying is with the balancing act in particular, in theory, in theory at least, right, rate increase would also mean that stocks are going to take a little bit of a hit too. Even though we're already in a firmly corrective um, period, I believe is the term, where it's like a 10% change yeah, we're, within we're, some time. We're, we're, not, we're not truly in a bear market, um, but we are within like the window for a bear market. For So it is more of a correction versus like a full bear, um, though we have been kind of walking that line. It's been very close. It's been very yeah. close. Um, now, you know, what you mentioned there is interesting. I think this ties back to like your comment about the knee-jerk reaction. You know, how much of this stock dumping is because the general perception that we're heading for a recession versus like actually being in a recession uh, versus being in uh, an area where interest rates are so high that the capital has to be slowed down, right? You, you know, yeah. Yeah. and I think that I think that's why we have to be careful here. There's been some people who are like, oh, you know, we've kind of we've hit the lower bound. We're already coming back up or like, no, we still have a lot more to go. Yeah, yeah, I just saw you flick your eyes at me there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for 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 all since this is an audio podcast, you can't see this, but Nick just gave me the eyebrows when I said not we're not quite done there yet. Surely not this yeah. time. <laughs> and, and and you know, I think that is something to be concerned about here. You know, for let let's be real, most people don't have enough money to put money in stocks, so this is really only affecting you know maybe upper middle class to to like the, an institutional and yeah. institutional folks, right? Um, but those do all have downstream impacts on people who are squarely working class. And I think you're right that like, yes, we're in a correctionary period, but the Fed might actually just tip us into that bear market because of what they have to do here. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, like you're saying again, that, that balance and, you know, for all I know, this, this correction is already sort of taking that into account because this has been sort of rumored for a while, you know, cause inflation has been up for at least months at this point. We're um, about yeah yeah we're looking we're looking at like six months. Um, yeah. I think it was really through the first half of twenty twenty one where things started getting really bad. Yeah, so like you know for, again for all I care that may just be calculated in because everything is calculated. in. Actually, wait a second, it's been longer than six months. Sorry, we're actually halfway through twenty twenty two. If you haven't noticed, oh so yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, it is June fourth. It is June fourth. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's it's been longer than six months. It has yeah. been it has been a bit of time. They do have to start really accounting for this because things are getting crazy. Yep. So you know, one thing I kind of want to touch on, you know, before we move on to another topic with this, you know, you, you kind of said it. Um, increasing the interest rates uh, winds up affecting everything. Um, like it affects lending rates, which means consumers aren't able to get loans on things at, at as nice prices. It affects student loan rates. Um, LIBOR is usually heavily affected when things like this happens. And that's what a lot of um, lenders kind of base their rates on, uh, especially variable interest rates. Um, and, you know, you said the purpose of this is really to kind of put a squeeze on people's, so they're not spending as much. Now, you know, the interest that I'm seeing here is, you know, what do we think is going to happen to the economy because of the contrast through 2020 and 2021, 
were from stimulus spending and and so many other things. There was a bunch of free cash flowing in the system for normal everyday consumers uh, going to this kind of corrective period where suddenly their wallets are dry, right? Like, you know, I think yeah. I might have more outsized effects on the economy than I think we're expecting. It, it really wouldn't surprise me. There, there was one article that I saw uh, within the last week. I forget the exact details, but it was something along the lines of uh, 50% of families who have been receiving child tax credits, I believe, um, are now with the cessation of those uh, unable to put food on the table consistently. They've become food insecure without those credits. That's already happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, granted, you know, I, I think it's, this is going to sound terrible, but it's only 10% that's food insecure, which, don't get me wrong, way too high. But like, you know, it is not the majority of people. But even so, if that's already starting to come down to that, yeah, and we're not yeah. even we're not really even into the throes of like the correction period with, exactly. with the interest rates. Like we're fairly early on in the rate hikes. Um, yep. Right. I mean, yeah, that article you linked was May thirtieth, right? Yep. So we're talking about that's like early strategy for reducing yeah. inflation. Yeah. No. Exactly. This is this is the first like blips from the Fed that we've been hearing about. Like, yes, we think we're actually going to start doing something now. <laughs> right, yeah, and like, and outside of the knee-jerk reactions, like we said, because of the lag, we're expecting at least a quarter before you see the impacts of the early rate hikes even. So yeah, it, yeah. it, it unfortunately wouldn't surprise me if things wind up getting worse. Yeah. Um, yes, and uh, everyone's 401ks are going to be worse for wear after I that. I haven't even, even they, haven't yeah, <laughs> looked no, at exactly. I'm not looking at my Same, same. I like, I need to figure out how to stop getting automated emails about mine because yeah. every week it's like, Hey, this went down by some very large amounts. Like, oh, I didn't really want to know that, but thanks yeah. for telling me, anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be interesting, right? Because this, so you know, I work in uh, currently as a software developer in real estate. You know, one of my concerns, right, is with the interest rate increases, mortgages are gonna wind up changing. Yes, that might cool off a bit if that cools off. How is my industry affected? Like, I'm kind of hoping I just retain my job, you know, through through yep. all of this. Yep. Um, so that's my personal concern. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride. Um. But yeah, anyway, like, you know, kind of moving along from this, um, I think the next topic I want to talk about uh, is SPAC companies failing. Um, so for those of you who don't know what a SPAC is, um, and I'm probably going to butcher this acronym, even though I wrote an article about this recently, uh, Special Purpose Acquisition Company. Basic, yeah, thank you, Nick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what a SPAC is, is basically... Um, it's a, it's a company that's put together for the purpose of acquiring another business. Uh, they are derogatorily referred to as blank check companies. And the reason for that is the investors who are putting money into these don't actually often know what property they're going to acquire, uh, going towards acquiring. Um, it is up to the person putting this back together to take that, you know, kind of blank check and go purchase a property that they think is going to make their investors money. Um, so really what ends up happening is like a matching process. It's like a it's like a much more expensive Tinder, right? There's like these these SPACs, and then there's these businesses looking to IPO, and the institutional investors go find what they think is a good match and put that together to take that business to an IPO through a SPAC. Now, why is this a problem, or, or why are SPACs problematic? Well, SPACs are actually subject to less, well, SPACs were previously subject to less regulation and less uh, oversight, so a lot of these businesses going towards the public we're actually not super stable financially. And what it meant is institutional investors, you know, think like Goldman Sachs and them, would make their money, uh, throw this on to the public, retail investors, um, and they would basically think, oh, this has been hyped up, let me buy into this. 
And then six months later, in a lot of the cases, uh, they'd be trading below their initial offerings. So you have a lot of people underwater on these stock purchases um, because they're really not financially very good companies. Um, now, a lot of these companies are starting to say, hey, with this new you know, economic climate that we were just talking about uh, in the previous topic, uh, they're not able to get money anymore. And since they're actually not cash flow positive, they don't have um, a financially stable business, they're starting to fail. Um, I personally think that's really good. A lot of these businesses are not actually good businesses. It really it sucks for the people working for them. They're going to probably lose their jobs. But it, for the economy and the business space um, more broadly, it, it's going to wind up being healthier in the long term uh, to go back to a more regulated environment where um, the general public isn't being left holding the bag on, on what are, frankly, these trash companies. Yeah, honestly, so when, when you brought this up for the first time, probably like a month or so ago, I want to say, um, I was like, well, what? <laughs> like, yeah. What? Why is this a thing? Like, yeah, I know the IPO process is quite uh, bare, but like, it's sort of intentionally designed that way. It, exactly. Right? Like, it's supposed to be non-trivial and you're supposed to like have your stuff together to be able to become a publicly traded company. Um, and yeah, like, you know, when, it, when I was reading, when I was reading a bit more about them for the podcast today, the, everything, everything about them, it's like, it's basically a loophole to just like throw stuff public uh like you mentioned you may not even know like when you are investing in a SPAC at IPO time you may not even know what company is actually being taken public you're just this it's just a shell yep like of a thing um and you also um from from what I read with this too you since since the private company is not the one that's directly IPOing they are not subject to the normal non-disclosure about forecasting exactly, so they can run around yep. and be like yeah we're gonna triple our revenue and yep. next like in the next yep. week yep. 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 <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's not so it's not quite that bad that would actually be some degree of fraud but you're not Fair. far off the mark they they're not subject to the same disclosures that ipos uh usually require so you know they can kind of you know loosely talk about their future looking um economic performance and generally skirt around um a lot of the concerns and that works both ways. The institutional investors who are pushing these uh, SPAC IPOs, um, they are subject to, well, not so, they have access to more insider information than, say, you or I. And, and they can probably have a gut feeling of whether or not a business like this is actually going to be viable in five years' time. And they don't care. Like, yep. they, 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 there's plausible deniability in the situation that lets them take these public, make their money, and then screw over the people coming after them. Um, and, and so I guess I should talk a little bit about the reason why this is changing and why, um, you know. Yes. So not only are these companies failing, but also why there's probably going to be a lot less SPACs happening in the future. So uh, back in March, um, the SEC actually came out and said, hey, we are going to subject SPACs to the same disclosure environment that IPOs have. We are going to add um, safe, harbor, um, uh, safe harbor requirements for like disclosures around future-looking financial performance and things like that. Um, we are going to add... Um, uh, more regulation um, around them. And we're basically going to do this in the hopes that we go more in line with traditional IPOs. You know, they've come out and said SPACs were never intended as uh, something to skirt the IPO process and that public investors are, yeah, I see, well, <laughs> hey. Um, officially, sure. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> well, okay. But the, there's a difference between the... I, to be fair, the SEC is a revolving door between industry and yes. regulatory body. We yes. do know this. 
Yes. Um, but I would like to think that the people doing the regulatory work weren't sitting there with that thought in mind. The institutional yeah. investors probably, but yeah. that's a separate <laughs> separate thought, right? Well, um, yeah, hypothetically. <laughs> yeah, hypothetically. But but yeah. So 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 anyway, back back to the point at hand. Yeah, they are bringing it in line with more traditional IPOs. They are making it more onerous to go through that process. Um, you are going to have to have a more established track record. You are going to have to disclose your financials and, and talk about your future looking performance, all in the hopes that we protect retail investors um, from what it was, frankly, a predatory environment. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I still like, I guess it was legal. So, you know, yeah. they eventually figured out how to do it and yeah. you know, make it spread. But um, yeah. And also, I, I do have to comment, like when I was looking at... Uh, or even saw this, but there was some graph of like how many of them had happened over time, mm-hmm. and pre like let's say oh seven or maybe it wasn't even oh seven, maybe it was twenty seventeen. Some year yeah. ending in a seven recently. Sure. Um, very very few, like maybe a handful a year, and yep. then there was like a slight uptick, and yep. then you hit like twenty twenty and just shoot straight yep. up to like hundreds and hundreds a year. Yep. 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 So it's crazy how quickly those things came about. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing, right? So um, institutional investors combined with later stage growth investors realized that they could make the return on their investment by going through this back and it just ballooned, right? That's yeah. like, you know, I don't want to say it's the case with every investor, but a lot of investors cargo cult their strategy off of like, you know, the people who are making the most money. They don't really have a lot of original thoughts. And again, that's not true of everybody. I know some really great investors that really do put a lot of work into their strategy and their growth performance, but neither here nor there. Um not supposed to happen it's getting shut down um goldman uh looking forward in the environment actually recently reduced its back business by like a hundred percent like basically shut down their SPAC business they're ex- they, they yeah. Yeah, they're exiting they're not they're deciding it's not gonna be profitable and regardless of whether or not you're an investor making money off of this it's better for the public and you know i think it's a return to sanity yeah. for startups especially there's so many startups that you know i'm sorry like your business is crap like yeah. you have no real yeah. model yeah, yeah your, your economics like you're you're spending two dollars to acquire one dollar and the reason you're succeeding is you have enough vc backing they're able to just dominate the market because you're pumping hundreds of millions of dollars into a space but you have real like no real like long-term strategy this is not viable long term it's yeah you, you will you will the bubble will burst in under a decade it's not yeah. gonna yeah it's not gonna yeah. Burst. yeah yeah um cool uh, do you have anything else on that, or you want to move? I, I don't think so. I like I said that 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 I think was mainly your boat coming in. I yeah, still yeah, I'm just it, like, how are these? How are these a thing? It's yeah. like it's crazy to talk about, but I think that's all I got for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know me, man. I'm a bit of like a business like purist. I feel like you need to be providing value to your customers yeah. in order to earn the money that you're making, and, and like I, that's been flipped on its head in the last decade. There's so many companies just so like many. yeah. So um, many. Quality and value is not aligned to the actual money making anymore in a lot of cases, and it's terrible. But I think we're starting to see some corrections here. Um, okay. Anyway, so you know, the last topic we have on the docket um, is uh, basically the economic pessimism in America and how it's the worst that we've seen since the Great Recession. And while this isn't strictly a conversation of the effects of like you know why we kind of touched on why that is with like the interest rate hikes um, to a degree, um, I think it's just important to kind of you know, touch on that, yeah, like we're heading into a pretty dark economic period for a lot of young people, ourselves included. Um, You know, in 2008, I think I was either like a freshman in high school or I graduated in 2013. So I was, yes, like coming out of middle school. Yep. Um, 
And to be honest, like while my parents were affected, uh, their home lost like $100,000 in value like overnight. Um, it didn't really affect me and my lifestyle didn't change. My parents weren't laid off. Like, so I didn't have like a giant change in my living. But now, right, like this is something that has the potential to directly impact uh, my earnings, you know, my friends' earnings. Like this is something we're experiencing. Yeah. Every Everyone, yeah, but we're like a whole generation is probably experiencing their first real economic downturn. Yep. yep. Um, <laughs> first one's a doozy. <laughs> yeah, first one's a doozy. And not only that, it's important to mention, like millennials are what? The biggest uh, like biggest generation outside of, um, and, and to be fair, millennials does encompass the people who experienced 2008. But I guess I want to say like younger millennials and like the Zoomer generation are big. They're big. Yes. Yeah, very, um, and, very big. Yeah, and this yeah. is our first, like, downturn, so we're experiencing this. And it's just a lot of people are concerned. They, you know, they don't know what their job's going to do. They, they, they don't think they're going to be taken care of, right? No, yeah. Nobody thinks they're going to be taken care of anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, go. yeah, so I, I guess also to, just to kind of explain the original article I was posted. So this is a Gallup poll that basically said uh, on, a, on a scale of negative 100 to 100, at the, the result of the poll is um, the general feeling of the economy is now a negative 45 down from a negative 39. <laughs> um, they, they break it down to say that 14% of adults rate conditions as excellent or good. 46 say they are poor and 39 say they are fair. Now I was trying to figure out a little bit more about how that negative 45 number actually yeah, like sure. where that comes from. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the best that I could find was basically that saying it's equivalent to asking hundred people and getting the response, 75 of them saying the economy is bad and 25% saying it's good. Uh, you know, you subtract for each bad and add for each good. You end up at around negative 50, hence 75 and 25% respectively. Do you, do you, so I, I have to ask, and if you don't know the answer, that's fine. You, and I, like, I did not go into their methodology as much when I was reading the article. Why do they do that convoluted subtraction? No clue. System? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> no clue whatsoever. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so so there, there are a couple of things that struck me just starting with that even. Um, one is that in the original data, you know, 14% of people are saying it's excellent or good, which is a bit higher than I would have thought. You know, not, not um, hugely out of whack, but definitely a bit higher than I feel like the sentiment is that I see generally. Granted, there's all kinds of biases in there, but... Um, Perhaps more importantly, though, like if this equivalency is correct, then the 25% saying it's good is way, way higher than I thought it would be. Um, well, it's, ah, man, you know, it's interesting, right? But there's such a division in America now. In terms oh, yes. Of, like, oh, yes. And actually, I don't even want to say wealth, right? I'm a really high earner, but I have no wealth. I'm like, for, for the folks listening, like, I'll be fairly transparent about it. I'm $160,000 in the hole from like my loans and all that stuff. And I, I'm a software engineer. You can look at what we make for that. I'm not going to go into that. But, like, I'm a high earner, I have no wealth, um, but the division between someone else who has no wealth and myself is still very far, right? Yeah. Like, there is a big yeah. gap in that one. And I'm also an outlier in terms of my, like, student loans and all that stuff. Um, but it, it, it's interesting, right? Like, I could see someone like myself being like, okay, things are fine. Like, if I didn't pay attention to really economics or, like, the financial space or what was going on, I could be like, oh, like, things are fine. Like, Fair, yeah. My, like, my savings are not changing right now, yeah. right? Like, I'm not currently unstable. Things are, you know... I can afford my stuff. Yeah, my dinners have gone up a bit, right? Um, I have noticed that because I pay attention to things like that. But in terms of my living, like, I'm not super affected at the yeah. moment. Yeah. I have the potential to become outsized effective. And I would imagine that, you know, if that happens and you go into a deeper recession, 
that 25 percent is rapidly going to decline yes yeah um yeah that is fair that is fair there is still a very big difference between like in the hole but like recoverable effectively where like you're still fine for now versus like actually not doing okay yeah like right that's what i'm trying to say like i like with the economy as it is right now i'm still being paid i'm still stable i still have my savings i'm not like like i i if i got fired tomorrow knock on wood um i'd be good for a couple months before i you know need to kind of hop back and worry about things um and obviously that's very different from the bulk of america but I would imagine that 25% might be those higher earning it's, households. It's, yeah, it's a viable number to say, like, right. you're, you're at least in that range where it's probably manageable. It's yeah. manageable, right, yeah. exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. It's that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Um, but it makes sense why 75% say it's not great, because yeah, that's saying, a lot yeah, more. Exactly. That's, there right, is the outsized yeah. majority that you end up hearing. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess flipping back to what we were going to talk about before going into the details of the poll. Um, so one thing that's uh, sort of related to that, which I believe was mentioned in that article, I might have seen it somewhere else though, um, was that uh, part of the potential drive for this decrease um, in sentiment, that's, that's not the right word, but anyways, um, is that in addition to, or because of rather inflation being up so much, uh, the the real GDP in the U.S. has actually shrunk in the last. Oh yeah, quarter. yeah, yeah. No, that that that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, that's actually happened last quarter as well. So so it was not. It it wasn't an actual contraction because right. it was like zero point zero one percent off of being like an actual contraction. But for all intents and purposes, the U.S. economy did not grow last quarter, yep. um, from what I recall. Yep. Um, and yeah. now it's actually contracting. Yep. And now it's now it's contracting, and prices are still on the up and up from, like what I've at the very least what I've seen, and again what I've heard. Yeah. It's you know another interesting point to bring up, and it doesn't affect you or I because we live in a city system. But it wouldn't surprise me that the outsized majority of the people who are saying the economy is terrible are looking at the gas prices because gas is going to be their primary thing that they're purchasing. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know that's really being impacted by the like the war in Ukraine, and that's less. To deal with like our economic policy at the moment and there's nothing we can really do about that um short of releasing well that's okay i'm gonna walk that statement back because we do have enough oil reserves where we could flood it and reduce it but there are like geopolitical consequences of doing so so that's why we haven't done it's it it's a complicated topic it's a complicated yeah. topic and a complicated situation um but yep. it wouldn't surprise me that 70 percent isn't even necessarily saying hey like my job's terrible. Don't, don't get me wrong. I see enough people saying their job is terrible to maybe offset that. But it wouldn't surprise me if you're paying like, you know, $90 to get a couple gallons of gas. You're like, my God, like yeah. what's happening right now? Yeah. No, I, I heard recently, uh, I think it was somewhere in California, it's $8 a gallon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, I was uh, looking this up before the podcast as well. It's like, it is still very steadily increasing to like, it was up another like five cents today and was up, you know, let's say 40 cents or something in the past week or yeah. two and it's just like whoop. yeah eight dollars a gallon i mean the federal minimum wage is what 725 i mean uh, you know assuming that like i think california is up to like nine something don't quote me on that one but like let me like the point that i'm attempting to make is that when gas is an outsized portion of your daily earnings it doesn't really matter what your job or life satisfaction is because you can't afford the basic necessities yeah so you're gonna think the economy is shit yeah and you know i might want to what so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it's 
It's something. It's something. <laughs> um, um, yes. I, on that note, one one other thing that I did sort of find in this area that like I think I had heard of both these before, but never really realized um, was the two different price indices of actually measuring inflation. You have both a separate consumer and a producer sure, price index. The CPI and yeah. Then, yeah, 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 and and CPI is what's generally reported, and that's what's at eight point three percent or something right. but it doesn't include food local. and essentials housing housing food, yeah food, housing yeah essentials yep. I, I, I don't think gas is included in one of them it, it may very um, well not be yeah so so that's one of the so and should maybe clarify that but like the point is cpi doesn't include normal things that you as a consumer might be interested in like your food and your house um so real inflation um for all measures is actually a lot higher um than you would expect uh, I can use myself as an anecdote. My rent is going up by $1,000, but that's not really included in the inflationary um, um, indexes. Um, and I think you're you're checking for that right now. Just so, kinda... yeah, I was, what I was actually pulling up was the, the producer price index, um, because that is for all commodities. Yeah. Um, include, I believe, I believe that does also include food in this red data. Again, um, that... <laughs> That is up uh, over 20% from a year ago. Yeah. The note there that is being tossed around, and is completely valid, mind you, but the, the caveat there is that a year ago places us in the summer of 2021 still very much in COVID. Um, so this is still sort of in the dip that came with a lot of that kind of stuff. So, so I guess the question I would have there though, is right. Like back then we were having supply chain issues. So in terms of spending, like what's the actual, like, that's fair. That's very fair. I, right? I, like, I don't know. I don't know. That could be an interesting one to, to do a little bit more research on for a, a deep dive topic at some other time, because some point. yeah, yeah th like a lot of this data is, you know, it's, it's uh it's it's stats right you can yeah it's, yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah it never it's, lies but you can make it tell you right, whatever yeah. you want um, yeah, heavily interpretable yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly. exactly um so yeah no the, the the whole like actually measuring inflation to like it's it still sort of does boggle my mind that they don't consider like food as part of that because that's like the one thing that or i won't say the one thing that everyone but like that's one of the very easy, tangible, like, yeah, I spent, like, 20% more on groceries this past week. Um, fun example there, uh, I was getting groceries delivered the other day and needed a gallon of milk, right? Simple, like, store brand stuff was four uh, 410 or 420 a gallon, yep. uh, which is definitely up. But the part that got me was I looked over and, you know, those, like, kind of high-end organic ones that are normally, like, let's say seven or eight a gallon... Fourteen dollars for a gallon. Oh, wow! Yeah, yeah, That's crazy. So and crazy. like that, I know has only happened within the past handful of months. Um, yeah, I wonder. Like, you know how much? So so I guess here's an interesting question that borders on a lot of speculation. I don't know if we want to go there, but it's just a thought, right? You know, under inflationary periods like this, a lot of businesses might see it as a period where they can just raise their prices, right? Regardless of the actual like supply um, demand kind of uh, system going on. Um, you know, and how many places in this time period have seen that and gone, well, you know what, it's time to raise prices, you know, people are going to eat it. it. It's true. It's true. I mean, we could definitely go through and do some like profitability or like looking at recent profitability. Yeah, reports. it might be, might be, um, might be a good topic for us to explore. Yeah. And, and, you know, another thought that I was having when you're saying this, like, you know, the Big Mac index is used and I'm curious yep. to see what its change was over the last that's, year. Um, that's a good point. A that's a good point. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, maybe we look at that right now quickly. Yeah. Like, yeah, so while you're looking that up, one other thing, um, I was trying to find historical data on that gallon of milk to just, like, make sure that my memory was correct, basically, with, like, time and yep. amount. Um, couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, the normal, like, tracking sites, because because it is locale-specific, just don't track them. Um, so I was thinking we could do some uh, interesting, like, you know, data scraping of our own and do uh, do a bit of that at a... Uh, let's say in a couple months once we have some data accumulated because once again, it seems really hard to measure. Um, but you know, we can at least give some, uh, some concrete numbers for the specific area of New York at least. Yep. Um, so looking at the big Mac index just globally, um, I, I don't think this is super surprising, uh, but Russia's currency is undervalued by 70% currently. Um, I'm yeah, I'm very <laughs> shook. Um, and then everywhere else, uh, I don't know. It doesn't like. There's not really. There's not as much information in this graph as I was hoping for in terms of the conversation that we're having. Because there's it, this one is like a, a global like Big Mac index. There's not the um, inter US index. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we'd have to look at that separately. But anyway, food for thought. Um. All right. You know. I, I, anything else on this topic that you? I think I think that covers everything. I had another like anecdote about housing market stuff, but like I don't think that really needs repeating at this point. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's crazy. Everyone knows it's crazy. Um, I think that's all I got. Cool. Um, all right. So you know, I, I want to put this out there. Uh, this is our first podcast. Um, we're excited to kind of continue this every week. Uh, for any of you who are uh, listening to us, first of all, we're super appreciative. Second, uh, we're going to be opening up both a site and place to like put questions. Um, you know, we'd love to cover topics that like listeners ask. Um, if there's no listeners, we'll keep just making our own topics. Um, you know, until we get listeners. Um, but yeah, this has been the Just Enough to Be Dangerous podcast. I'm Ian. I'm Nick. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.